a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. You're listening to a Zero Limits podcast brought to you by Two Ravens Tactical. Your hosts are Australian veterans, Matt and Shane, and we're here to give you the motivation to accomplish any goal you set your mind to. On these podcasts, we're going to be speaking to high-charging people with a zero-limit mindset that never say no. Let's go. All right, listeners, on today's show, we have a man by the name of Albert Winks. Albert Winks, please explain yourself and welcome to the show. Hey, hey, yeah. Wow. Explain yeah, myself, huh? Yeah, thanks for having me, definitely. <laughs> I, I tried to listen to as much as I could in the short period of time. I know we, we kind of had a, a short chat, but uh, yeah, sounds like you guys are doing awesome stuff, and I appreciate you waking up super early to chat with me. Yeah, and, no, uh, no, we appreciate you coming yeah, on. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm, I'm now 40 years old, uh, but I think most of us have been through the same stuff. You know, we were we were go-getters when we were young, and... and uh, that just kept on going and the military honed us in more. And so I did a little infantry time and then went in to do uh medevac. So I was a medevac pilot for my long tour in Afghanistan in uh, 09 and 10. But anyway, yeah. we'll chat more about that. Yeah, definitely. of course. Yeah, definitely. So if you could just, um, you know, for the listeners, uh, you know, just, just, us, just as a quick one. Yeah. Obviously, you know, in your later years, you become a, a medevac pilot, which is, you know, absolutely incredible. And, you know, we, we might, we've got a, I'm sure you've got plenty of stories to talk about that as well. So if we could yeah. just uh, start from the start, you know, where young sure. Albert grew up. Yeah, definitely. So I was raised in Texas uh, you know, on a cattle ranch uh, east of Dallas area. So a smaller cattle ranch as far as Texas is concerned. So it was uh, about uh, 50 acres. And at our max, we had like 40 head of cattle and 20 horses, things like that. So truth truthfully living that cowboy lifestyle and uh small schools things like that and um hell even my parents picked me up from school one time on horseback that's like the coolest thing (laughs) so uh but i went to a small high school and i mean i was good at what i did in sports i was actually an elite level gymnast when i was about 10 or 11 and uh later one of my teammates he was in the 2000 olympics and i know you guys usually ask like what led you to want to be in the service and I knew since I'm from Texas, you know, we've got U.S. Marshals at the federal level, but we've got Texas Rangers as the, the, the Marshals, if you will, in, in Texas. And everything is bigger in Texas. Everybody's attitude is bigger <laughs> and better. And so I wanted to be this, you know, Texas Ranger kind of thing. And, and so some of my teachers at school were veterans. And 
And so we were talking about that, like, how do, what should I do? I'm, I'm thinking about going in the army. What do you think I should do? And they, they said, well, you know, you're a great athlete and most people don't like cops. So don't really go in and be a military police member. Just go infantry. Infantry is the best way. You're going to learn all the tactics. You can do cool stuff and you can do ranger and long tab and all this kind of stuff. And so I, I bid on that and uh, I want to go in and do the ranger stuff. Uh, weird timing though. Uh, when I joined up, I, it was an odd time. It was in the late nineties, 98. And they said, well, you can go anywhere. Where do you want to go? And I wanted to go over to Germany and, uh, I thought that was going to be pretty cool. And so anyway, I show up to basic training and they say, Hey, any of you fuckers that wanted, I hope I can say that. Yeah, uh, of course. You yeah, mate, yep. to go. All right, good deal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I'm going to say it'd be a weird, it'd be a weird conversation. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, yeah. Any, any of you jackasses want to be ranger and airborne, all that shit. You're not going to, you're going to be mechanized. Uh, this was 1998. So one of my drill sergeants was one of the rangers at, uh, Somalia Blackhawk down. Uh, and so anyway, uh, I mean, just crazy stuff, just watching this guy and, and uh, yeah, other stories for other time. <laughs> but uh, I was a bit disappointed here. It is I want to be a ranger and and maybe go on a long tab, all this kind of stuff, uh, and was sent over to Germany and drove Bradleys for a while. And uh, I ended up, I was out doing training, driving these Bradleys around and bouncing all over Germany and ended up hitting the top on the hatch yeah, and yeah. like crushed my spine just a little bit. Oh, <laughs> Just enough, just enough to be med boarded. And this was in 2000. And so 9-11 happened, hadn't happened yet. 9-11 happens. I tried to get back in several ways. One way was uh, the Army had just created this 18 x-ray program where you could go straight into uh, special operations selection. I was I didn't even get past go. I filed my paperwork. This one star general who was in charge of recruiting at the time saw that I had tattoos and said, no, nope, we don't want this guy. Post 9-11, special forces, no thanks. So then I think, all right, I didn't have a college degree yet, hadn't finished yet, and there's a way of being a helicopter pilot without having a college degree. So I boarded for that down in Houston, Texas. This was 2002, 2003 timeframe. Again, they just hadn't picked up all the pilots that they later had. And so they said, well, you're qualified. There's only uh, two openings, 10 people applying. Good luck later. So I was like, well, shit, I, I don't really like this whole dragging my butt thing. Let me push. Yeah. And so uh, I was in Houston area at the time. And I said, well, shit, what else can I do? I called up the local, the closest ROTC program, which happened to be in Corpus Christi, further, a little bit further south on the uh, Gulf Coast. Awesome program. Signed up immediately. A month later, I was living in Corpus Christi, signed up to college again and, uh, and, and moving forward with my degree and in ROTC. Got my, uh, uh, I, I actually was, um, just since you guys talk about this, I usually don't talk about it. But uh, when I was in ROTC, I was uh, rated in the top 3% of leadership with all my yeah, right. awesome. roles and responsibilities, things like this. And so, uh, on our side, we usually want to do like a, you know, your dream sheet, top three, what do you want to do? And, you know, you have to put the usual aviation first, medical second kind of thing, because most people don't know this, that medical pilots like myself, uh, the commission guys, we're the ones that are med service for. So we're medical yeah, service of course, officers, yep. not, not aviators. So we had to go through med service corps first. So I got selected med service and also for, uh, to be a medevac pilot. So 
we knew going in before I got my butter bar on that I was going to be going from officer basic course in San Antonio, Texas over to flight school. Already knew I was going to be a Black Hawk pilot, all that kind of stuff. But get this, even with that, I still wanted to get my you know Ranger tab and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, right. Can't help it. I'm hard hit. <laughs> so I'm talking to my branch manager and he says, all right, man, you can go to two schools. You want like airborne or whatever. And I was like, man, I want to do Ranger school. And he says, Albert, let me, let me try to talk you out of this because imagine you're at Ranger school and you know, you're, everybody's tired, everybody's skinny and uh, some youngster just pokes you in the eye. Now you can't be a pilot. Now you can't help the people you want to help. You were selected one of 12 to be a, a medevac pilot. Can we drive on with that? <laughs> Maybe you do Ranger school later. Is that okay? And so I was like, all right, arm twist, I'll take it. And so uh, I, I didn't go to Ranger school. And so I ended up going, uh, got my commission, got to, went to flight school. Uh, then after flight school, was sent to uh, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, Hunter, Arm- Hunter Army Airfield. So the people that I was meeting up with, they were the ones that did all the, my pilots are the guys and, and gals that were doing the Katrina missions, yeah, gotcha. Katrina, plucking awesome. people off the rooftops. Then uh, a couple of years later, they were going to Iraq. They had just gotten back from a 15-month deployment. When I got there, two weeks after, they got back from 15 months. And then a year later, we were heading over to Afghanistan for what we found out was later a 13-month. So I started out in uh, Jalalabad in RC East. Uh, So JAF, so a lot of 160th guys flying in and out of JAF. Yeah. Before before uh, we carry on with uh, Afghanistan, um, can we just – Bring it back to nine eleven. Now, where were you mm-hmm. um, when all yeah. that all that went sure. down? Yeah, so I was in uh, I was in college at the time up in uh, Dallas area, and I was uh, an athletic trainer for the the football team, soccer team, volleyball stuff like this. So you know, taping ankles for football players, things. And uh, we had this training room downstairs that we tape all the ankles on stuff yeah. like that. And uh, every morning before eight a.m. or nine a.m. Uh, classes, we would always kind of meet up there and have a quick cup of joe before class, stuff like this. And of course, uh, this is the older days, right? So we, we didn't have the flat screen TVs everywhere like we do yeah. now. And so we had like the radio on. And uh, I think we had a square box TV somewhere in there. And uh, 9-11, the first impact hadn't happened yet. First class, I went to my first class, came back downstairs and uh, had a bit of a break. That's when it was all being announced that this is happening. And still, we didn't even know what was happening. The first tower had been hit, and I had another class to go to. So I went back to my second class, came back out. Second tower was hit, and it's like, oh, shit, man. It's, it's one plus one, something's happening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, it was a, a crazy moment in time, definitely. Yeah. So, but that yeah. was when I was still in college up in Dallas area and didn't quite know what to do at that point in time. So yeah, it, it took a while for that to settle in. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like with you know significant events like nine eleven, everyone that we speak to, you know, and they know exactly what they were doing at that time when they saw it mm-hmm. on TV, and what, you know when they got told about it. And I guess you know, um, did did it change your thought process on you know becoming a pilot, or you know what I mean, like as in motivate you more to do something to get you know get overseas and start uh, deploying? Yeah, uh, I would say yes and no. It definitely put me in on track to you know I. Being from Texas, it's a whole other mentality, and everybody in in Texas will definitely tell you that. Uh, there are maps out there that say Texas. Every other state is <laughs> oh, not. Yeah, I've, I've been a few. I've been a few so, times to Texas, and I love it. 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and so, you know, we're very patriotic, especially growing up on the cattle ranch. My uh, my granddad was a, a World War II doctor over in Germany. My uh, uncle, uh, I didn't really know much about it. He didn't talk much about it, but he was a tunnel rat in Vietnam. So yeah, right. Like, you know, That's even though we had a lineage, I had people I could lean on. We didn't really, it wasn't like, oh, you're forced into it. You know, you need to follow your own path. And so I felt like I was supported and uh, no matter what I chose to do. Yeah. And so, yeah, it definitely triggered. All right. I, I need to do something. I'm not done. And that I felt like in 2000, when my former gymnastics teammate was in the 2000 Olympics and I had just gotten out from being med boarded. And I was like, man, you know, is this it? Like, I, I feel like I'm part of something bigger than myself. Is this it? Like, so let's try this again Yeah, <laughs> and just keep trying. And you know how it is, man. Slow and steady wins the race. And yeah. I just kept pushing forwards. And I mean, I was never on that internal timeline of, you know, I hope the war's there when I get there kind of thing. <laughs> I was just, I just kept going. And, and thankfully, I mean, you know how it was in probably the late nineties, we were still working on old school manuals of, Hey, yeah. if somebody's bleeding out, go find a fucking stick and, <laughs> and make a tourniquet, you know, but then we make, got into the Israeli stuff and, you know, you, you start like, I'm glad that, that, that some things move forwards. It, it changed. It changed. <laughs> we got better it, at a lot of things. It, it did. It, it changed like combat medicine changed. We, mm. you know, in that, that, you know, the early years of Iraq, Afghanistan, it was still pretty hazy, for, you know, it was old school stuff and then you know as soon as the you know the new tourniquet started coming in then it just changing the way mm-hmm. you know medicine was uh put out in the field which is and these days mate as as you know you know you got that golden hour within that golden hour you've mm-hmm. got a very very good chance of you know surviving um you know a oh, yeah, catastrophic event which you know we, we've spoken to a couple of guys already uh one of our uh, good friends uh, curtis mcgrath and he lost both his legs in afghanistan mm-hmm. and um you know he was just within that hour, I think you said he was an hour. Like he was yeah. an, over an hour out. Then the helicopter flight mm. to the next hospital was still an hour away. So he was like two and a half hours or something. Yeah. So, so it's just it's incredible these days. Imagine how much it's all changed from like the first Gulf War in not ninety one to two thousand two two thousand three, and then even to like now, just all like the bandages and just the way things are done. It's like imagine if like medics could see stuff happening like Vietnam and to, yeah, you know, that's it. Yeah. Even like look, imagine you remember the the basic stuff you would have been taught as an infantryman as well. You know, even the stuff I was taught as, as an infant, mm. infantryman, it was it was the most basic first Very aid essential. you could you, yeah. know, you could give, which is crazy. So, but yeah, that's 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 interesting. And just to just to go back gymnastics. Yeah, it's bloody strange for for a Texas boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a Texas boy. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree. I was thinking, I, I was thinking yeah. football or baseball, but yeah, gymnastics. And I did, yeah, I, did, I played football too. And and the school that I went to was small, so we we didn't have a, a long list of, of baseball and other things. But uh, I mean, I played every sport. I've always been outdoorsy yeah. and athletic and things. And but for some reason, I just had this ability. Like, I guess going back to my, I guess my granddad that I've always had a connection with uh, sport wise and just military wise that uh, he was a diver in college and in the thirties and stuff. And like, I don't know, maybe I got it from him. I'm, I'm five foot six. So I definitely got my height from him. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, um, so if you a, could a, a oh, classmate of mine, when she was a classmate of mine, when we were in elementary school, she was like, I guess we were nine or something together and she was doing flips out in the grass. She had taken gymnastics. I was like, Hey, you know what? I would like to try that. I think I can do it. Yeah. Right. I just happened to be like naturally really good at it. So 
yeah. stuff. And so you did that for a few years, or you yeah, as a couple coach. Of years. And you went for a coach. So you, yeah, so and then I coached. Yeah. I I taught. I taught for off and on. That was like my high school slash college coaching. So I taught. I started coaching when I was fourteen, and uh, and then when I got commissioned, I had to leave it behind me. But uh, but yeah, I taught over two thousand. Uh, 2000 kids and most of them were girls. And so a lot of them went on to be, I was a tumbling instructor at most yep, places yep. that I was, that I worked at and, you know, cheerleaders and gymnasts need tumbling. So uh, I, I taught them. And so over 2000 of them uh, cheerleaders went on to, to be cheerleaders for other major universities, all the major universities in Texas. Yeah, right. So like, you know, giving them an opportunity to, to better themselves and, Super cool, you know. Yeah, that's that's definitely awesome. Nice. Did any of you? Sorry, did any of the gymnastics um, girls or guys make it to the Olympics? Whether it be um, Greece or London? Uh, you know, not that I know of, and I guess maybe shame on me. After they left, <laughs> I, I just started focusing on the next kids, and yeah. and then of course I I was going going to flight school and stuff like that. And so I mean, I'd be glad to hear if those kids can now find me. I say kids, shit, they're now. Yeah, yeah. a couple years younger than me but you know now they can probably find me on social media and let me know how they're doing yeah right i love to hear it that's awesome so yeah we'll touch on the the you know the helicopter pilot stuff and um you know it's obviously a pretty strenuous training period as well you know how, how long is the training for you know to become a pilot especially you know a, a mm-hmm. army pilot you know more than anything it's sure, certainly so uh first things first you have to take these assessments before they even can see, are you capable of being a pilot? You know, are you too short, too tall? Do you have the measurements down? And then they also want to see, do you have the ability to, I don't say be ambidextrous, but a lot of us are motorcycle riders. A lot of us horseback riders, like I was stuff like that as well. Um, you have pretty awesome body situational awareness of, uh, of left hand, right hand, left foot, right foot, all moving at the same time. Uh, I saw this in a magazine once that the, the busiest, job for a person to do is a helicopter pilot so those yeah. small ones that are like the news helicopters those you have to control the the angle with your feet and all that kind of stuff so it, it's task intensive so uh you have to be able to fit and be able to do that you have to also as far as the initial testing you have to see can you see the angles of if it's turning this way or turning that way or going up or just stuff like that so it's a pretty fast test and nobody knows, by the way, <laughs> nobody knows what the grade is on that test. You either pass it or fail it. And so it's uh, it's very bizarre taking that test. And then once that happens, they look at uh, once you get uh, there to school, especially for Army guys. Uh, it's been a while. So let me see. There's several things that we did. We did at the time they were changing a lot of this. So it used to used to learn how to fly certain Hueys and stuff. But I started out one of the first classes of like news style helicopters. Yeah. So of course you start off, it's weird getting to flight school and like three days later you're flying that you start out in uh, the simulators. And it's funny because the simulators make the instructors sick <laughs> because <laughs> the instructors like being out in actual aircraft. Uh, and then three days later you're flying a helicopter. And it's so weird because you, and you guys know this, like movies, Hollywood makes things seem like it's going to be like, crazy things are happening and the music and God, always walking in with the right stuff. And, you know, no, it's not, you're showing up, your, your belly aches and you know, you're nervous <laughs> as shit and you're, you're sitting in a simulator for three days and you're learning how to hover and you're frustrated because everybody does this pendulum thing when they're learning how to hover and you're 
pissed off because like doing this and then the instructor goes i have the controls puts his finger <laughs> on the top of it and just steadies it out and you're like fuck what the hell <laughs> and three days later you're out in the air- aircraft you know take that baby out and you're flying and like it's 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 insane what, and, what uh, type of helicopter but is of course it? sorry what type of helicopter so this, is the, the first, first one? ones that we flew were those little uh news style helicopters yep, that, gotcha. that we have over here and uh so you do that for geez i haven't thought about this in a while uh you do it for several several weeks not too long uh and then probably i don't know two three months something like that and then at the time that i was in you had several breaks and so it's supposed to be basic rotary flight learn about aerodynamics aeromedical classes things like this uh and then you go to uh schoolhouse is you're doing you fly half the day and then you're in class half the day so you're always learning about something new weather stuff like this and then you go to the uh uh, more advanced style of flying, which is same helicopters, but your uh, more battlefield tactics of, you know, before you were learning about the, how the aircraft works and, and how to fly it safely and soundly. But now you're like learning how to yank it and bank it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that's a lot of fun. And then after that, you go to your aircraft specific. So you're going to fly Chinooks or Blackhawks like I did. And so you go your Blackhawk course and that, it's a little bit more big boy. You know, you're not a, a basic aviator anymore, but it is pretty crazy how the first day of learning how to start that Black Hawk up, it takes like 45 minutes. Crank yeah, that right. really? And uh, just in, it, you know, first, first day of class, yeah, of course, yeah. do the checklist, all nervous. And you, know, you got this, you went from little bitty news helicopter to giant fucking Black Hawk. And you're like, look at the size of the tail on this thing. Is it the same? It, it, it's pretty impressive. Is it the same training um, for the Apaches, the Ospreys, and the Cobras? Uh, yeah. So the those guys are doing probably something similar too. They they go they start out on the news chopper, then they yeah. then they go to their their actual airframe, yeah. and you know Blackhawks was so so long and um, yeah, the massive. And then we learn how to fly at night, all that kind of stuff. And then of course, when you get to your your first duty station as a pilot. Then you have to go through we call RL progressions, readiness level progressions. So that's are you able to hover and fly in the daytime, fly at night, all that kind of stuff. And at the time when, like for my time frame, when there was a like if you were deploying a year from then, like I did, you're just you're getting the RL progressed, you're you're getting trained up, and uh, and I got promoted to captain the day before we went to Afghanistan. So we show up in Afghanistan and, and I'm not the platoon leader, I'm the, the section leader. So I'm in charge yeah. of half the pilots and, and things like that, half the half of the aircraft. And what you're supposed to do on your year or year plus deployment is you're supposed to be you're the junior pilot, you're the one that flies, the senior pilot's the one who's on the radios talking to higher up and you know the, the ground commander, stuff like this, coordinating all that. And uh, both good and bad things happen from that. Like I was a junior pilot, so I was on the sticks the whole time. That was super cool. Uh, but we weren't being progressed like we were supposed to be. I had odd leadership at the time. I don't need to get too deep into that. But like our growth was not being supported by hire. And so we were just stuck at, hey, you're going to be a junior pilot. And the way Medevac works, too, is we have, like they say, high mission load, low hours. So even though I flew 268 combat missions and evacuated 350-ish patients myself, I've only got like 
300 hours of flight time. <laughs> yeah, right. So, I mean, yeah, you yeah. just go out, you pick somebody up, come back and, and like you're saying, the golden hour, you're trying to get to them as quickly as possible. So that the perfect sense. world of medevac is you have these interconnected circles where the longest mission I fly is like 45 minutes that way to get this guy, yeah, bring yeah. him back, get him to higher level care. So by then, 09 and 10, the circles were pretty much there, overlapping circles. So we were doing our job as we should. It was just winning. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a good, terrific time to be there. High mission load. A lot of stuff happened during that time. I was up in Corngall Valley, flew a, uh, did a 10 minute hover in the middle of the daylight in the Corngall Valley. Uh, that was interesting. I got it on my helmet camera. Uh, nobody wants to do a five minute hover, much less in Corngall Valley. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then I moved platoons. I went further south, uh, the uh, RC East, further south in RC East. And I was in Gosney and Shank. And this was during the, on Highway 1, ton of uh, roadside bombings, things like that. So like the worst moon dust on earth is there. So I was, it, it seemed like the more, the better I got, the more I was tested my missions and so my last missions were probably one of the hardest ones that we flew yeah and, right uh, and but thankfully i had great teammates and uh only one time was i scared <laughs> and i handed the controls over and, and he did terrific work yeah, other right. than that like you know my pilots were there to help me make sure that i was confident in my skills and to expand on them and uh they did a great job doing that and we had a blessed year we we didn't lose anybody and that was amazing so uh, I, I didn't come back with that heartache of, of losing teammates. Uh, but yeah, it was an interesting year that I was there. Yeah, right. So what year was that? Sorry. Your first year in Afghanistan? Uh, yeah. Uh, 09 and 10. Oh, so no, I went no. there September, you... pretty much September to September. And where were you based out of? Uh, I started out in uh, Jalalabad, Jabad. Yep. Jaff. Yeah. Yeah. I was in, uh, I was in Taran Kaut. Uh, Uruzgan province okay. in 2008. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we, 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 there was a big base out there and plenty, plenty of medivac pilots out there. That's for sure. The, um, yeah, definitely. common fact that we've chatted to a few other US, um, force people, your, your, your postings are quite long. You know, the Australian Defence Force, we go six to what, nine months about or something. Yeah. If we're lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that, but you guys do like nearly 12 months. Plus, and then if insane. you go, if you yeah. if you get posted like the Bahrain when we went to, to the to the base there, um, I think there was guys there for like two three years, like the naval posting. Oh wow, yeah. So hmm. they they like they live in there for like two three years and they come back and I think they get a choice preference for wherever they want because they've they've gone and <laughs> completed that sort of stuff. But um, also, how many crew are on your Blackhawk? So you got a pilot, attacker, or air crew? So great question. So the, the basic load is you've got two front seaters. So two pilots, junior pilot, senior yep. pilot. And then you've got in the back seat, you've got a, one medic and one mechanic or crew chief, as we call them. Yep. Uh, quite often though, we would have like uh, special operators on board that were the, the medics. We had either American or um, uh, we flew with a lot of other guys too. And uh Anybody who knew medical, uh, we'd also have flight surgeons that would fly with us, we'll call them flight docs. So yeah. flight surgeons would be on there with us uh, a lot of times as well. And uh, just helping out the best they could for our, our brothers and sisters and stuff like that. So definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So can can you run us through like a, a standard day? Like let's say you're back in you know in the barracks, compound, yeah. you know, compound and waiting for the, the call. And I guess there's a big ring over the radio or 
how they do it and you run yeah, it. Certainly. So, so one of the cool things about being medevac is you train for the worst and hope for the best. So before we left, we were doing all kinds of training back in the States on one and two wheel landings. Two wheel landing sounds interesting enough, but trying to do a one wheel, like the way it feels is because you got two front wheels and you got this back wheel back here. Yeah. And when you put one wheel down, you're, it's, you're balancing on a beach ball. So you're like, yeah, right. it's, it's super weird feeling. And uh, so we trained on that, you know, uh, O dark 30, no loom, uh, hoist missions, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we went out to, sometimes we do high altitude training out in Colorado. I didn't, I was a junior guy, so I didn't get picked for that. And then we did a, uh, we went to white sands missile range area in New Mexico, flew out there. And, uh, that was a help, pretty helpful <laughs> getting me used to it as well. But yeah, when we're, when we're over there, over there, basic medical or uh, medevac day is kind of like a firefighter, right? You're already trained. You know what to do. You just got to sit around waiting and you're, Sometimes together, having family meals, things like that. So we try to have family meals uh, multiple times a day. But then you want your own individual time, whether that's kicking back, watching a movie, or every uh, firehouse or whatever medevac house would be a little different, uh, different setup. Some were more familial settings where you could have like couches and stuff like that. People would watch being there watching TV or whatever. Other ones get more uh, settled into like. Um, you know, doing some light PT or something, you'd leave your gear next to the aircraft or, or carrying it around with you. And so like, you know, lifting weights or something like that, some, something just keep the blood flowing on your, yeah. your day. But um, for us officers, I mean, we had to still do paperwork, stuff like that too. So, you know, that, that, that element never goes away. <laughs> and so that's always there. So you're going to meetings and listening to higher up to build and uh, uh, delegating down, of course. And it, it's, it's, I won't say it's the most exciting part. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's just that weird nine to five stuff that yeah, yeah, gotcha. portray. Oh, you know, so and so's going to a meeting. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> and how many um crew are in these like medi houses? Like you got like a few a few different crews and a few like um, yeah. crafts there. So so we always uh, especially in Afghanistan, we had we always had two crews. So they would fly either uh, give me one second because I'm a pilot, I've talked with my hands. So we'd always have two aircraft that would go out and fly it would be one usually one medevac bird and then one attack helicopter so it could be a, a uh, either an apache uh we usually didn't have kiowas that supported us directly as we called it uh chase aircraft yeah so it either be apache but apaches were always slow at getting off the ground they take like seven minutes just to get off the ground so sometimes we would leave them and they would catch up to us uh depending cool. on what the mission was uh, if, uh, if we needed to, most of the time we'd have, we call it med chase. So we'd have two medevac birds out there flying, chasing each other. So two red cross aircraft. The issue with that though, was at the time we had limited aircraft. And so we had, uh, usually actually by Geneva convention, we can't carry big arms, only mm. small arms. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, you got your pistol, nine mil pistol, and then you got your, uh, your, uh, your rifle in the back kind of thing. So yeah, sorry, Abbott, you can't, so no, you can't carry 308 and you can't carry 50 cal. No crew, no crew no. serve on there. So yeah. Okay. Right. And so what we would do is we would uh, have the uh, air assault guys that would fly next to us, stuff like that. People would support us as quickly yeah, as they okay. could gotcha. in their own aircraft, stuff like that. But yeah, a lot of times it was, it's always two, two birds to keep 
Overwatch, stuff like that. So, yeah, right. That's, that's I was not aware of that. No, either was I. With the uh, black, sense, it does. But with the uh, Black Hawk Helos, are they different to your other Black Hawks? Did you guys have all like, the seats stripped out of them so there's more like room? Yeah, yeah. It's a great question there, too. So, and yes, like air uh, for and stuff Afghanistan there. specifically. So, imagine. A 1983, like, do you have a 1983 car that you would go drive right now? Probably not. Uh, these were 1983, <laughs> I do 1984. <laughs> do you? <laughs> I used to have a 70, 72. So. <laughs> so these were 1983, 1984 helicopters, alpha model helicopters. So this was uh, the mic models were the ones with the glass cockpits and, you know, like your yeah, smartphones yeah. in there kind of thing. But these are old school ones with the old school pressure and altitude and all this kind of stuff and airspeed and uh, Nokia 3310. What was that? Nokia 30, 3310, like the phone models. The old school phone models. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was a flip phone. This was a oh, yeah. phone. This all right. <laughs> <laughs> so we had, uh, yeah, we had this old school shell and then we had upgraded engines so it was like a rat rod um, and so that was pretty cool so but we had upgraded engines but we did not have upgraded transmissions so you you, you could literally pull this thing apart and so you had to know your limits on all right i'm pulling the hell out of this thing and it's going you know this fast but like well, i've got to watch that red line here and know that i'm not going to literally rip this thing apart so but it was fun we had uh in Iraq, they had what they call a uh, carousel. So it's this big, clunky piece of shit that is separates the front from the back. And it, they call it a carousel because it swings and you can put the litters on top. And it, it, they found in Iraq that this is stupid. So yeah, they're like, fuck that. We're not going to do it. Afghanistan, since it's so higher up in elevation as well, that's a problem. So like, we need to be light and agile. Get that piece of shit out of there. So thankfully, we... We had completely stripped down aircraft that we were flying in, so that that made it yeah more interesting too. Not, nice and light. <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Obviously, like Afghanistan, as you spoke about before, the moon dust. It you know that's one thing I experienced, and you know we're on the obviously mm-hmm. driving in vehicles a lot and wearing face masks because the the dust is just it, it. it's like talcum powder. It's it's just the worst oh, yeah. thing ever. It gets in your <laughs> You, you, yeah, you inhale so much and everything. You're basically <laughs> shitting dust as well. Really? Like it's, yeah. it's that bad. So how was it, you know, for for yourself being a pilot, like landing in that stuff? Because you know, I, I, a few times when uh, you know when I was there, we had the medivac choppers come in or chinooks or you know and land as mm-hmm. well. And literally, I had to hide. You had to hide. You had to literally. I had a. Oh, yeah. Was it that bad? We had a pack cover that goes over your pack. Yeah. yeah. We mm-hmm. used to hide inside the pack covers and just like. Just Turn into down. a little crouch down to a little rock, just so you could yeah. keep all the dust out, and it was hectic. So, but how you know how was it for a pilot? Because we couldn't see shit. I couldn't imagine what yeah. you guys could see. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And so, since I was a junior pilot, every senior pilot that I would fly with, even as I was training to go over there, I would ask them the same thing: like, show me how you fly. Don't show me how the book says. Show me how you fly. And <clears throat> I, I'm glad I did that because. The textbook way of doing this is there's a so when you're coming down to land just on any time, if you go slow enough, there's this vibration and you have to do it at a certain steep level. And it's pretty quick. Like imagine kind of like twice the speed of an elevator or like a fast elevator coming down and you know you're going to hit and like make a jolt. Right. 
that is highly uncomfortable for me. Some people are comfortable at it and, and whatever, but they would come down and land hard. And then you have to hit slam the brakes on the brakes or two pedals. So you push the brakes in and no matter who I flew with, I just never got comfortable with that style of landing. And then one other guy showed me he didn't like that either. And he wanted to do, he did like a, especially in Iraq, Afghanistan, you could do this, a, a low and fast approach where end up, you feel the tailwheel in the back and you're like, hit that tailwheel down and you're like, okay. it's called aerodynamic braking. You're just like raising that baby up into a pretty high wheelie. And you do a bit of mixture of, textbook and also that aerodynamic braking i enjoyed that better so i was coming in fast in the dust so what they want is the dust to be kind of behind you and as you're sitting in the seat you're seeing it kind of looks like it's barely over your shoulders but that's where the back seaters are is in yep. the first seat behind you and they say you know keep it behind the medic keep it behind the mechanic kind of thing and but mine the way that i came in it would keep it even further back and i could control it faster smoother by the way and just more controlled so the people in the back weren't getting crunched uh, yeah so, or none of us crunched. so i like that way better <clears throat> but uh that helped out a lot and uh i enjoyed it yeah so, and then just add to add that. to the adversity of it not flying <laughs> you know oh my gosh oh yeah <laughs> yeah you know like yeah. you've got the dust and then now you're flying at night under mvg which, yeah. oh, mate, I, I don't know how you guys do it, honestly. Like, it's well, it's incredible. And so imagine, let's say you're sitting in the, I'm in the right seat, somebody's in the left seat, and to give you even more clarity, like, you're not looking directly out because you're, like, in this wheelie, you know, just <laughs> like an airplane. Not. You know, you always wonder how those airplanes <laughs> take off and they're, like, looking over the top. <laughs> Same thing, you're, you're having, you can't look directly to the right. It's so weird. You can't look directly to the right. It'll make you dizzy. You can't look directly forwards. It'll make you dizzy. You have to look like 45 degrees out. So as you're coming down, and it's so weird because you have to somewhat tunnel vision, but then also know everything else that's happening around you. And so as you're seeing the the dust come in and, and just, again, like you said, take that worst daytime scenario and now put it in the middle of the night. Yeah. It's, it, it's a million times worse. So, And it's the same, all those stressors. And you're just like looking out the window going, mm -hmm. and so a trick that I did, and I, I did a speech on this later is that when I would get into uh, a way to, to loosen up was I'm a Metallica fan. And so one of the songs from Metallica, <laughs> you go, right. So as I'm coming down, if I'm on the sticks in order to keep from loosening up and not where I'm, cause you, you want to fly kind of like you drive, right? You kind of drive with your wrist nice mm. and relaxed. I don't want to say limp, but like you're nice and relaxed. You're in control because you're, you're, you're calm. And you know what's going to happen in a helicopter. You start tensing up and you start moving like a robot. You're going to, you're going to mess up. So I'd come down having that, I'd, I'd do that. To, I don't want to say humming or whatever in my own head. So as I'm doing like a, a, a landing or dust landing or midnight landing or O dark 30 landing or uh, any kind of long hover or something like that too, I'll do the same thing. And it just keeps me loose. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, right. That's, what would you guys do for that? You I don't want to rain like on your parade, though, Albert. <laughs> Put a little shoulders in there. The shimmy. I don't want to rain <laughs> on, on like, the, uh, the army parade here, but the Navy pilots are pretty wild. We had a, a night landing at sea 
obviously not the Navy. Um, and it was like C, C State Five, and the same thing, like how they do it as well. It's just it's fucking crazy. And like we actually have, we will stand by like crash on deck because the captain's like these these boys are going to like spear in the deck here. And and obviously they hmm. they didn't, but um, but yeah. So the Navy pilots, you know, in pilots in general, it's. Yeah, you got you guys are skilled because no one no one realizes how like touchy it is. Everyone just thinks it's like a video game controller, like, like PS Five, you know, or PS PS Four. Yeah, that's it. And just and you know to add to the adversity <laughs> on top of you know the dust and then night flying, you know it's a combat zone. You get it's shot Afghanistan. At as well. There's mm-hmm. RPGs, there's oh, yeah. small arms fire. You know, what I mean, like it's Dopes uh, and rocks. Yeah. That just adds to it mm-hmm. even more. You know, yeah. But feel feel free to use the um, Apache like the background there for like your next demo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what you got here is your passion. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Um, uh, in regards to, you know, the Taliban, obviously, because, you know, they flood Afghanistan, basically, you guys cop uh, any indirect? You would have copped a, you know, a, well, I would so, say indirect. Man, direct we, as yeah, well. we, had, we had an interesting time when we were over there. Uh, so <clears throat> I know at least one time <clears throat> when we got back to the airfield, we saw that there was bullet holes in the aircraft we didn't even know <clears throat> we didn't know that we've been shot at and of course we didn't know i mean we, every morning you do this goes back to what you're saying like what do we do uh on our day in the life every morning at like 7 a.m you do a walk around on the aircraft stuff like that uh, just for pre-flight you can do a pre-flight for it can hang for several hours but somehow somebody had missed maybe somebody had missed i don't know uh that there was a bullet hole in this aircraft and found it on either pre-flight or post-flight. I'm like, oh shit, we didn't hear anything about this. You know, when did we get hit on the ground? Did we hit in the air? Nope, nobody knows. And it wasn't like detrimental to the aircraft, so they, yeah. they just were able to fix it. No big deal. But like, oh my gosh, man! Uh, <laughs> one time we had a, um, we were on a special operator was in the back of my bird, and he was uh, losing my mind here. What was that? Uh, not Russian. Uh, crap. Who's the guys that say Chesh? Chesh, right? Che- uh, Chechens? Uh, no. The, which ones? Che- Chechen rebels. No. Chechen yeah, rebels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are they doing there? I don't know. Drive me nuts. Anyway, but yeah, they're, one of their special operators was in the back of our bird. And for some dumbass reason, he came down and he cleared his rifle in the back of our oh, no. aircraft. And he <laughs> squeezed the trigger right through the, the floorboard. And Polish, sorry, Polish guys. That's what it was, Polish special forces. Yep. So we had two guys that always flew with us over there. Just one guy was really good. The other guy was new. And uh, the new guy kind of shit the bed and wasn't allowed <laughs> in there anymore. So uh, I've never that was had, interesting. I've never had a UD <laughs> That's it. At the end of the day, Lucky had these uh, rifle pointing down, exactly. not towards the, the engines up yeah. top. Yeah, right. Yeah. Obviously, the helos, they aren't bullet, bulletproof, right? Um, and you see movies, they get absolutely like smacked up hard. You know, you see like, you, obviously <laughs> mm-hmm. you guys, like the bullets, like the aluminium frames, um, I wouldn't imagine the glass is, um, bullet, bulletproof, like weight as well. So like the, so right. It's, uh, it's like a flying kite practically. And it's amazing how much muscle is in those engines and just how dainty and lightweight everything is. And the smallest little fin getting put out a whack like your tail rotor or something if your tail rotor gets hit and there's a, a weight adjustment i mean just imagine your car right when yeah. you have that when your weights comes off you hear it mm. well the helicopter wants to kill itself and kill you with it so anything goes wrong it, it goes wrong quick uh in in those cases but yeah. thankfully we had during my time over there we we stayed stable and 
we had some of the usual stuff that would happen with we call it chip lights like there's some kind of chip sensor there's uh, it's a metal shavings getting in into some kind of sensor and you don't want metal shavings inside of <laughs> something moving so quickly because that'll just ruin the engine or transmission stuff like this so yeah um, but there, there, there were a few obviously there was a bunch of black hawks that went down in afghanistan um i remember seeing a couple you know tarrant cat that were dragged out into the you know out into the you know the airfield and just sat there and just mm-hmm. become carcasses and they were down choppers. Aussie ones or yanks? Yeah, uh, yanks, all yank, yank okay. uh, choppers. But wow. um, yeah, mate. Obviously, the black hawks went down a fair bit. Um, it's, you, it's, you didn't experience nothing, you know, like during your time. They're not obviously your helicopter, not, but yeah, not not directly. And uh, I guess you know, thank goodness we uh, we were part of several missions that were pretty crazy stuff. Um, and uh, like that movie Outpost. Yeah. Out what you talking about with in the Corn we Valley? For that. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were there for that. Uh, my cool. platoon was there for that. And uh, a lot of things went wrong that night that now looking back, all the, the generals and stuff had just done it wrong. So anyway, I don't well, need to get into yeah, mate, too great detail with that. But Yeah, mate, it's funny because I've, I've watched all those docos and um, I actually know the, the director that uh, did them all. I've spoken to him a few times. He's a friend of mm-hmm. mine. And um, – Obviously, just the Corongal Valley and all those places that mm. they were the stupidest places outpost. to put outposts. Yeah. Like it made yeah. no sense. It was just a, a killing field for U.S. soldiers. At the end of the day, they you know, they, they got absolutely massacred every time they were you know at any of those outposts. Which is mm-hmm. yeah. Looking back now, you say, what were they thinking? You know these these generals at the end of the day, what were they thinking? They were thinking they were sitting there drinking their coffees and on, on their office office desk, not mm-hmm. not not in the Corongal Valley. So couldn't give a shit. Yeah. yeah, that's insane. So well, it's crazy. Like even in that in, in that movie Outpost, like they, I think they did a great job of when they show like when the guy first gets there and he's like looking around, not not like hey the mountains are yeah there. yeah they're all up. They're, he's they're literally like he's looking up. Yeah, and you're like it, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, even like sick. even where we were in Afghanistan in 2008, you know, we we're in the Baluchi Valley and. Back in the, mm-hmm. you know, when the Russians were there, they got absolutely smashed in that area. And it, again, it was just literally mountains either side and would be copying, you know, 120mm rockets, you know, constantly from yeah. these pricks from these hills, but you couldn't stop it. But um, anyway, so you um, you leave Afghanistan and uh, what happens from there? You get back to the US and you discharge. Yeah, think, yeah things got a little less sexier at that point. So um, <laughs> Now I work with a lot of special operators. We can talk about that here in a little bit, but, uh, awesome. but yeah, when I first got back, uh, it was like everybody else at that time frame. I was 30 years old, went through a divorce, uh, during my deployment. And, uh, and it, it was weird being like a thousand miles away from my kids. And I love being a dad. And when we got back, this was the first time that the medevac birds were left in Afghanistan. Yep. So we didn't bring them back with us. So when we got back, we had no aircraft to fly. Our budget had been cut by like 80%. So we had no money to fly, even if we had aircraft, which we didn't. So no flying. So you're talking about fucking boring for like seven months. (laughs) And I didn't see an aircraft for, I think it was eight months before I I wiggled the sticks again. Yeah, right. And again, by that point, it was like, all right, I'm not, I'm I'm not going to deploy again. I wasn't on the, the roster to deploy. And so I was then not the guy to put in the, the cockpit that didn't care. And so anyway, I called my uh, branch manager, which is the guy who can move you around the, the U S or duty stations. And I said, Hey, 
uh, I want to get out in the next year or two. So uh, I've only got two years left of my contract. Send me someplace metropolitan. And when I said metropolitan, <laughs> he heard Indiana. <laughs> so, uh, but there's a, a camp in Indiana, Camp Atterbury, uh, which most people don't know about. I didn't, but it's a the training base for all of the National Guard and reservists and even DEA, FBI, stuff like this. So as they're training to go overseas and coming back, they all come through here. So I was in the, my last two years, I was in the operations cell with uh, the brigade commander who just coincidentally was uh, a Green Beret. Uh, and so anyway, I did that. And then I got out about two years later and uh, I tried, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't want to fly anymore. I, I honestly had a blast flying. And like one guy said, medevac is like the last cowboys and i was a cowboy in the old west and so like flying in afghanistan so i i, I had I, I did well and uh didn't feel like i needed to fly anymore and uh, so i just wanted to focus on myself and figure out what my next steps were and so then i uh was job hunting and met my now wife like i met her right after we had uh finished um my uh got out of the army i think i met her like six weeks later yep and we've now been together for seven plus years, something like that. Happy and, days. Uh, we have five kids, blended family. Uh, we're adopting a 15-year-old. Yeah, right. Uh, Good on you, mate. Good on you. But uh, but I had a 90% disabled as soon as uh, all that stuff came in. I don't know if you guys have the same kind of systems over there, yeah. but uh, here in the States, we've got the disabled veteran stuff. And yeah, of course, yeah. It's uh, really. I was 90% rated and then uh, did that for five years. And the company that I now work for uh, helped me get to hundred percent and uh, that helped out a lot. And I, I'm, I'm just a medevac pilot of heart. I love helping veterans, especially when it comes to increasing quickly, increasing medical attention and benefits yeah, and yeah, of course. fulfillment. So I've been working with them for since January of last year, worked with over 400. Everybody's a, every veteran is a patient. Every patient is a veteran. So I say patients, uh, over 400 patients that I've worked with and over 90% of them are special operators. So cream berets, one sixtieth. It's even a a Virginia boy in there. If you know what that is. So like secret black Hawk guys. Uh, And then uh, top gun instructors, top gun, Navy pilots, air force Academy pilots, all kind of stuff. So uh, everybody from up to one and two star generals, in SOCOM community. So yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? Two-star generals are having the same problems that guys our age are having with the VA system and we're all the same, all you know, bureaucracies. Right? So, yeah. I mean, Mate, it just, sounds, yeah. sounds like a common trend throughout the world with every hmm. defense force, military, et cetera. Mate, it's just as bad as here in Australia, mate. Literally in Australia, we just passed the Royal Commission for, um, um for veteran suicide. You know, finally mm. now they've, you know, made the government, you know, they forced them now, like it's they're, they're forced to act on it now. Whereas you know, last year there was all even you know prior to a month ago, just like, yes, it was you know we'll, we'll look into it when we need to look into it, but yeah. now they have to. So, which typical is typical bureaucrat answer, right? We may exactly, exactly mate. And yeah. again, it comes back. We don't to, know enough yet. That's it, and it comes back to walk you know, outside, look up. Is the fucking sky blue? That's yeah, you need to move on. Yeah, like, it's politicians, mate. Polit- as long as they get their money, they don't really give a just shit. Just uh, quick yeah. thing, yeah, but do you. Do you still fly any aircraft today, whether it be fixed wing, rotary wing, anything? No, all done. Done. I'm, That's it, cold I'm, turkey. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I had a blast, man. And uh, like I said, th- those things try to kill themselves, plus anybody inside of them. So I'm okay with not <laughs> not being in it anymore. I mean, yeah, I've got the good dreams. <laughs> well, at least you got the skill. And- You've got the skill to do it because every time, you know, every time, I don't know about you, Shane, but every time I watch a, a movie, I'm waiting for the zombie apocalypse. The Walking Dead, yeah. and basically, <laughs> oh, there's yeah, always yeah. there's always a yeah. helicopter there. You know, there's always a helicopter. There is, there. and I always think, yeah. do you reckon I could get jump in there and just turn it on and just give it's it? It's like the Matrix. You know, he's like Leon. I need to learn how to fly. And he's like, yeah, done. And he just has his brain chip. Boom. As a boasting in go. the Navy, you know, I was waiting for some sort of hey Shane, we need we need something painted grey. So whenever that bloody timeline comes, I'm like I'm ready yeah. to go. <laughs> so at least in, 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 the, in the zombie apocalypse, yeah. you're good to go, mate. You can you can just pick up a helicopter yeah. and fly. Give me a call. Yeah, you got a sick beard too, so I'll be like, look, look at Albert go. Yeah. Yeah, there he is. So, um, yeah. so you you you're part of the the uh, fulfilled uh, veteran project, mm-hmm. and uh, was that, is that basically what you're talking about for about helping veterans? Is yeah. that part of the That's leadership exactly. leadership and mentorship as well? So I do a couple of things, but that that is my bread and butter. That's what helps me help others faster. Yep. Yep. So I'm. I'm not a doctor, but I'm like that consultant that helps them through the medical process. I call it feeding the VA. So it's, I love doing the consulting. I'm the one talking most of the time. And like I said, I'm working with these uh, just amazingly uh, skilled professionals. And I talked to, I think, three full bird colonels in the past 24 hours and, you know, they're fighter pilots and stuff like this. And, and they just need help. It's weird, but like they're coming to me for help, but you know, like uh, you guys, I think all of us agree that being good at where you are is what's valuable to everybody else. Exactly. You know? And so uh, that's what I'm passionate about. And I'm, I couldn't have planned it this way. I didn't plan to, Hey, I'm going to go work with all these special operators. But once I started doing good work for patient one is going to send me two and three and four and five. And that's what these guys and gals have done is just send me so many people. So that, I've had two of my patients hired by the company that I work for. I'm hiring. Uh, I probably have two more that are getting hired uh, as well uh, by the, the headquarter company that, that I contract with. Uh, and then the uh, I'm hiring like two ladies to help me out with the admin stuff because, I mean, I thought when I started this job that uh, since I can control my own calendar, let me keep it at like platoon level where I can handle 10 or 20 patients a month. But when you start doing good work for great people and then you start seeing the outcome and like I call it a celebration call, I get everybody on the call with me. My kids scream at them, congratulations. And these guys and gals are like, oh, my God, just crying <laughs> and shit. And, and like they couldn't have done it without me. kind of thing. And it's like, man, that's fucking cool. You yeah, know? Awesome. And so taking that from 10 people a month, doubling it to 20 was super easy. Now I'm at like 35 a month. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I'm at. at platoon level it's kind of okay to do all the work but at company level i need help and so i'm hiring a couple of ladies to to help me out on the the front office admin stuff yeah <laughs> so that i can focus more on direct direct patient to patient or or you know my role to the patient uh, which is what i love doing so uh so that's been a blast and i mean it's when i was a patient uh, the company is called Remedical, R-E-E Medical. Uh, it's been around over 20 years. And when I was a patient of theirs a couple of years ago, we were averaging about two or 300 new patients a month. Now it's over 1,000. And Christ. we're like doubling in size in the next year. So I've got all, all of my um, platforms in place to go from like platoon level to company level and 
So I just need admin help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Happen, so. No, that's awesome, mate. That's awesome. And now, but that's uh, across all the services: uh, Navy, Army, Air Force, Marines, Coast Correct. Guard. Yep. Yes. National Anybody Guard. who's a, a veteran who has service service connected is our bread and butter. So if somebody gets out and they've got neck, knees, back, seventy percent, eighty percent, that yep. kind of thing, coming to me, that's that's key. Uh, so yeah, those are the easier ones. Yeah, okay. nice, mate. Nice. So, you know, we've been talking for a good uh, almost an hour now, and uh, we'll start to wrap it up. But, um, you know, generally for all our all our guests, we have two, you know, major questions. And, you know, the first question is, can you give advice to anyone? You know, you're doing it already with all these veterans. Can you just give advice on, you know, uh, for anyone, not even just veterans, all our listeners right. and the people that listen, how to, you know, you've had a, a an inspiring life. You know, you, you started off as a young Texas kid, and then you become a – you know, a, a helo pilot in Afghanistan, you know, that's that's somewhat incredible. And, uh, you know, can you give people, you know, what message can you give to people to, to, you know, complete their goals and just kill it, kill it in life like you have? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And like I was saying, this is why I wrote a book about this because, and I, it's weird because I don't like reading books. So it's really hard for me to sit down and do that level of homework. But what I noticed is as I got older, you know, we all have that napkin that you write your dream down on. I want to be a Navy SEAL. I want to to be a helicopter pilot, whatever. Well, you have to turn that thing over and now break it down to a couple of things. The top part is phases. If you want to be a college educated, you know, astronaut, well, you got to do college, have good grades, all that kind of stuff, right? So several phases. But what's even more important than that, and I call this the hero formula, being the hero, the, the hero of your own journey, is you have to be around the right people. And what I think we all go through is, you know, I grew up with my mom and my dad and my brother, and then you go through life and you're like, you know what, they're not really adding value to my outcome. And so you have to have, I call them pushers and pullers as mentors. Pusher is somebody who supports you, but hasn't been there. So if you want to be an astronaut, I can push you and give you some support, but I haven't been there, so I can't pull you. But if you want to be a medevac pilot, I can pull you up and say, here's what I did. Uh, And then additionally, you know, you have to surround yourself with people who have positive outcomes and that's where the formula part comes in. Everybody adds value, subtracts value, uh, tremendously adds, tremendously detracts and just stay, I don't want to say stay away from the negative people, but go more towards the positive people. Yeah. They're going to help you out a hell of a lot better. Yeah, exactly. And then worrying about who's behind you well it's, yeah. it's funny you say that because you know even growing up you know if you hang around the bad kids guess what you're more than likely to be a little shit kid you hang around the good sure. kids you're more than likely to be one of those good kids there's so it's, a, it's basic there's a video going around on the socials at the moment and some blokes like show me who your friends are and i'll show you his, mm-hmm. uh, your future or something i think that's how it goes and it's like it's so mm-hmm. so true and like you never yeah. realize when you're younger your parents didn't want you hanging out with like billy down the road because <laughs> billy's parents are bloody stoners and you, you did not know that it's just it's the same thing though mm-hmm. it's just like but what you said the pushes and pulls i've never heard, heard that yeah. way um yeah describe before and I, th- I think that's awesome um, yeah sure but anyway always uh last question question now but uh obviously sure. your future is with the fulfilled fulfilled veteran project but what's um any other goals you want to you're going to smash smash in life definitely next? definitely no more flying or is it just one lucky definitely no more flying not not in the near term i don't know maybe as i get older if matt and i come over to indiana a couple of <laughs> with, the, yeah. with the black orc uh would you be able to fly <laughs> if, for if i can afford to buy a helicopter <laughs> then you know let's do it um yeah. what what are, what are your goals for the next 10 years or your or your, your future prospects 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm having a blast doing what I'm doing, helping the veterans out with the Fulfilled Veteran Project. And it's lending such quick results because our journey with them is about six months long. So like, it's fast from the time that they come to me. I don't want to say in misery. Some people are like, this sucks. And then they come out the other side. They're like juiced up, you know, and it's so much easier for them to talk about their success with the VA system than it is to talk about their frustrations. So that's, that's going to just be ongoing. Um, I talked to the owner of the company the other day and we're both on the same track that we're super passionate about helping our patients and we're not going anywhere. The VA system's not going anywhere. We'd love to work ourselves out of business, but over the next decade, that's probably not going to happen. So uh, we're here to help and uh, just letting you guys and everybody else know that too. We're here to help and uh, I'm happy to help, love doing it. And uh, I love at the end of the day when I'm worn out because I talk to somebody about their physical, I call them boo-boos, physical or mental boo-boos uh, that, that I feel like I've done you know, a job well done and uh, it, it's very satisfying. So if, if this weren't around, I, I wouldn't, if I was like fired tomorrow, I probably wouldn't do anything else. <laughs> yeah, right. so, okay. Yeah. Fair no, that, cool. That's awesome, mate. Well, hopefully, you know, someone out there, because we, we do have a, uh, a, you know, a bunch of US listeners as well. And obviously a lot of them are uh, veterans, which is, yeah. you know, so if anyone's listening, get in touch with Albert mm-hmm. and you can uh, get you sorted. Yeah, definitely. And I could message you guys my calendar link and then just get on my calendar and yeah. We'll go nuts. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. And uh, yeah, mate, super appreciative of you coming on and uh, having a chat with us. Mate, you've, you know, you've had an incredible career, not even like you're so humble about it. You know, the amount of lives that you've, you know, helped save, you know, even throughout Afghanistan, you know, and your team and obviously the guys in the back of the chopper. Mm -hmm. I don't think you understand, you know, you probably do, but you know what I mean? Like you you just brush over it like, you know what I mean? It's like, like imagine, mate, yeah. imagine your mate's been like shot up or like blown in half with leg missing and you guys arrive and they see the act like the, like the, like the just cross the hope, the, side. the hope, the hope that you give. Exactly. And it's just like, yeah, like the angels are here sort of thing without, without sounding like a bloody like, hip, sure. like God botherer. Yeah. But um, you know what I mean? It's just like, like the boys are here, you mm-hmm. know, and then they just put him in the helo, then they just continue on the mission yeah. and you guys do, do your thing. And you know? then now you're continuing on with, you know, helping veterans. Which I think is great. It's uh, awesome. Admirable, mate. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. It's, it's been a blast and I just love doing it. And uh, yeah. I just really like it. <laughs> Good on you. So, You're passionate. I want to continue with it. So yeah. And I appreciate you guys doing this too. And I think it's a great approach is, you know, sharing good stories and making sure everybody's doing the best that they can. And, you know, you don't have to be a, a combat hero. A lot of people are like, Hey, I'm, you know, I didn't do combat. So what? <laughs> that's yeah. why you need to be the hero of your own stories. So yeah, exactly. That's why I wrote that as well. So that's awesome. you don't need to lean on us. Happy days. But Thanks. I appreciate you guys. Definitely. No, yeah. thanks, mate. And Appreciate I want to say something to you real quick, Matt. Yeah. Uh, my wife, uh, since she didn't know me during the military service, she doesn't really get it of whole, you know, who's, you know, Delta Force or Tier 1 or Tier 2 and all this other kind of stuff. But yeah. I, I showed her the, the Nick Jonas picture, so now <laughs> she's... She loves you. Yeah, so, mate. I've, yeah. I've I've done a few celebrities, and that was probably the only one that the, the paparazzi got us. I'm pretty good with getting away with yeah. the paparazzi, but yeah, they got that me photo. Nothing. Albert does the rounds. That none you are. <laughs> <laughs> he uses it for yeah. everything. Birthday cards, Christmas <laughs> cards. Yeah, birth- it's a lady, lady catcher, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, Albert. Awesome. Thanks, um, mate. Thanks we're for coming. Lady, on, stop it there, brother. Thanks for your time, Albert. All right. Definitely. All right, you guys too. Go back to bed. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, guys. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. As you know, I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. (laughs) However, 
lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags, literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, a few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine, and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour-over filter bags, you've got some merchandise. And just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our buyer, you see that discount code, use it get your discounts. So again, jump on to 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.